podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. A Manchester derby in which we were probably lucky to lose 3-1 is not a game to be happy with, but it comes after a comeback win away to Bournemouth, which was then followed by the most magical of European nights in Turin in that 2-1 win against Juventus. Welcome to Series 4, Episode 13 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast, and thank you for listening. As always, we're talking City and things in general as we go into the final international break of 2018, and the last one for a while. Jose Mourinho, Guardiola, Transfers, United, and as always, we have our youth and loan roundup near the end of the show. Having beaten Juventus in such superb style, or not necessarily style, but in such a, a brilliant manner, United fans were, were more confident than they probably would have been otherwise for the derby. And that probably contributed to the the disappointment with Sunday's game, didn't it, Jack? Yeah, I think so. It was disappointing. It was just a disheartening performance, I think. But obviously, coming off the back of what was a, a, high, a very big high after the Juve game, probably the, the, the highest we've been all season. And then... To come, kind of shattering that back down to earth in, and it, I think it it was disheartening in the in the way that it was just very unsurprising. You know, we were all kind of wondering whether the Juve game would be sort of a, a change for our season, and whether we could now sort of kick on and start playing some better football get, and be getting some more consistent results. And this was really just back to what we've seen for the rest of the season. I mean, the the worst thing about it is that even at three one. It's not as bad as as it could have been, you know. I I think three one is probably a a pretty fair reflection on the gap between these two teams at the moment. And unfortunately, the Juve game didn't really provide much of a spark, especially early on in the game where yet again we started horrifically. Well, if you think back to the the six one, I mean, it's not a nice thing to think back to, but City were winning three one, I think, at eighty seven, eighty eight minutes, and I was I was watching City attack at eighty seven or eighty eight minutes in the in the derby on Sunday, thinking. Is three one now? This could easily suddenly jump to four to five to six. Yeah, in the same way that it did back in what was it? I think two thousand eleven. And I mean that that wasn't the worst issue with the performance. The, the issue with the performance, I think, is I think most United fans were just uh, and frustrated by the fact that we never really went for it. It was kind of a mix of a game where we didn't sit back and really frustrate them. We didn't try to stink out the the stadium we didn't uh, you think back to the nil nil draw at Anfield where the whole of the English media kind of went into uproar at the fact that we'd we tried to defend against one of the best attacking teams in the country now we didn't do that we could have done that and yes it would have frustrated some people but if we'd managed a nil nil draw one nil win a one one draw even it would have been a huge result Mourinho didn't choose to do that a lot of United fans would be happy with that I think I'm probably happy with that it was probably better to go for it but at the same time we didn't go for it. We kind of sat on the fence. We, we went halfway between the two options, which is no man's land. And, and that was probably the, the downfall of our performance. Yeah, it was just a bit of a nothing performance, really. Like, I couldn't, couldn't really tell you what, what our tactics were before the game. I, like, I couldn't say whether we were really trying to sit back, whether we were really trying to hit City on the counter, whether we were trying to take the game to City, because it, it was just a bit of, of nothing, really. There wasn't much to our performance. Defensively, we, I mean, we were okay after the first sort of ten or fifteen minutes, which were pretty shambolic. And even in the second half, when you thought we might have to go for it a little bit more, even after we made all those subs, 
Apart from the attack where Lukaku won the penalty, there was nothing of any real substance going forward. Even on the counter where you thought, especially when you saw that the front three that started the game in Rashford, Martial and Lingard, you know, you thought that the, the, the plan would be kind of sit back and hit City on the counter-attack. But even when we did manage to win the ball back, we never looked like much of a threat on the counter-attack. And not, not just from good play by City, but it was we didn't seem like we had much intent going forward. It was very slow, it was very laboured trying to get out. It was yeah, just a, a very nothing performance. Really, I, I came out of of the derby feeling not even that angry. It was almost just like quite empty because it was it, it, the the performance didn't really make you feel much, you know. And uh, it was, it was a, a a flat feeling, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, and obviously, you know, that might, maybe that's better than feeling really angry at a disastrous performance. But yeah, it was just very flat, and it was so unsurprising in the way that we played. We just felt. I think the best way to describe our performance was passive. We were passive for the whole game. Yeah, you did. You came out of it with kind of a, uh, as you say, a, a nothing feeling because it was it was a nothing game for the majority of it. You mentioned that we we defended well after the first goal. I don't think I think the first ten minutes after the first goal were were very nervy. And yeah, again going back to the six one, you're thinking this this could be a battering. This could be the they could wipe the floor with us before we've even got to the half hour mark, which they have done with so many teams this season. They've scored so many goals this year, but. Once uh, it's it's quite a common theme with United this season is once we get past a certain point, I think it's usually twenty twenty five minutes in into the game. Once we get past that point, we we do turn into quite a solid team. The defense starts to settle down, the midfield starts to protect it more. The first ten to fifteen minutes of, of the derby, the midfield would be fifteen, twenty, twenty five yards away from the defense, leaving this, this completely massive gap. And we had three midfielders. That shouldn't be allowed to happen. Well and it, and it, it seemed it seemed like at the start of the game there was somewhat of a plan for Matic and Herrera to almost man mark um David Silva and Bernardo Silva. And it it wasn't a it wasn't a full man marking job in that one of them had to stay with one of them all the time. But Sort of one of Mat- of Matic and Herrera each took one of Bernardo Silva and David Silva, and then they were just drifting into wider areas like they always do, and it was leaving Fellaini effectively as our only midfielder, <laughs> and he was being pushed. He'd been told to play a bit further forward and try and get on Fernandinho, so that we just had massive open spaces right in front of the defense for the first like fifteen twenty minutes. But but once we get past that point, we've seen it uh, against Bournemouth. They went ahead. They were they were dominating the game. To be honest, we hit twenty five minutes, thirty minutes. We start to grow into it. Happening at City as well. It's happening so many games this season. It was exactly the same in the first game against Juve. Yeah, same as well. Even um, I think even if you go back to Newcastle when they were they kind of tore us apart in the first twenty yeah. minutes. They scored two goals and then suddenly we settled down. We start to build before we get into half time. And so it's not just about starting the games. It means. There, there clearly is a. It's a point every game, and it's not. It, it's irrelevant whether we concede or not, and whether we concede one or two. There is always a point where we start to settle into the game, and that was kind of the disappointing thing, because once we hit that point, City kind of. They, I mean, yes, they allowed us to play. That was probably why we settled into it a bit more, because they started performing worse. But City started to look a lot less threatening, and they did so until until after half time where they grabbed another goal and then we start getting back into it again and then suddenly they hit us as as the best teams do interesting thing is no player had a had a truly awful game on sunday there was definitely i mean there was definitely no player who had a good game i guess that fact kind of makes it more sad in a way because it shows that we don't have to play poorly against city to lose comprehensively we just have to play at our normal level and we still get completely outclassed yeah there wasn't any 
there wasn't anyone you could point the finger at and say, oh, they had a howler. You know, they were the reason we lost. We lost the derby. It was yeah, just really a collective. Like like I said at the beginning, it was exactly what you would you would expect from from this team at the moment. I think, and it I think three one is a pretty fair reflection on where these two sides are at the moment, especially based on what we saw on Sunday. We never looked like we were going to be causing City any major issues. They, after the first 20 minutes, never looked like tearing us apart, but they always looked very dangerous going forward. Um, But yeah, there wasn't any particular house. I would say the person who I think was probably the worst player for us was Matic. But I don't think he was truly awful like he has been in some games this season. And I definitely wouldn't put the put like the whole game on him by any means. There was small individual errors all over the pitch, I think, which kind of contributed to to a lot of the, um, a lot of cities playing a lot of our downfall. That midfield was was full of mistakes. I think Herrera. I'd I'd probably blame Herrera, and not blame. I wouldn't blame anyone for it, as you say. But Herrera was probably more mistake heavy than Matic was. Constantly giving away the ball, like lingering on it for ages, wait just waiting to be tackled by that that city press. The midfield was. Was, was properly rusty and, and full of mistakes, proper stodgy. And, I mean, it's not entirely surprising, is it? There was no no real game plan or direction in that midfield. And then up front, no outlet with Sanchez and Lukaku on the bench. Rashford isn't... Rashford can be an outlet when he's helped by another quick player next to him. Someone like Martial, yes, but Martial wasn't getting much joy. I think Sanchez up front could have made that game very different. Lukaku... An informed Lukaku could have that, could have changed that game around completely had he started. The current form Lukaku probably wouldn't, but Sanchez, had he not been picked up a little niggle in the in the Juventus game, had he started, I think would have made a real difference to United's strategy in that game. Yeah, I, I agree. I th- I think Alexis more so than Rashford is capable of creating stuff on his own, even if you know he obviously hasn't uh, hasn't played played well for us so far at United, but he is capable of of creating himself more than Rashford is that's not Rashford's game Rashford's game is link up play it's beating a man and creating for other people um, more so than being able to create stuff himself but I think in, in games in games like that if we were going to set up the way that we set up I think the, ple- the pe- players we had on the pitch needed to be our most clinical players because ultimately we weren't going to get much joy against City with City we weren't going to be, be creating 20 or 30 chances in this game and as much as we might like Rashford he isn't the most clinical player. I don't think his movement is the best at the moment. And Alexis, despite how poorly he has played, and he didn't play that great when he came on against City, he has played better in the few games that he started up front. I thought he had a decent game in midweek against Juventus, and I think he deserved to start. Obviously, the groin injury, I don't know how serious it was. Maybe that was why he didn't start. But if he was fit enough even just to play 60 minutes, I think it was worth it was worth giving him a go. Yeah, I think def- I mean we we don't know about the injury. There hasn't there hasn't been much word on that to be honest. Mourinho didn't comment on it massively, but I think I think you're right against Juventus. He he was important. I think it was he, he was unlucky to be substituted. Even though United improved when Fellaini came on, I don't think I think that was more because of Fellaini's attributes rather than the fact that Sanchez had been playing poorly. I think Sanchez against Bournemouth and Juventus showed that when he starts up front for United as as a, the lone striker, the set, proper proper centre forward, not a number nine, but a proper centre forward leading the line for United who starts those counter-attacks. And the Juventus game was a key example where United knew they needed to counter-attack and and Sanchez filled that role. And then again, City, again, we're going to have to counter-attack. There's no way we're going to be able to take the game to them for the whole game. We probably want to sit back. And this would have happened under Fergie, under Van Gaal, under Moyes, under whoever your manager is. Pretty much anyone. 
apart from possibly Jurgen Klopp in the Premier League, would sit back against City and wait to counter-attack because that's, that's the way you're going to beat them. Sanchez could have filled that role perfectly, so we don't know about the injury. Someone else who, who wasn't in the team was, was was Fred, and Mourinho came out after the game complaining about the, the lack of Pogba. Yes, that was a massive blow. I mean, City were well out with De Bruyne, but Pogba for United probably even more important than, than De Bruyne for City, even though he's not played as well as De Bruyne has. But Mourinho complained that the lack of Pogba meant he couldn't bring Fellaini on as a late sub to to affect the game as he did in Turin. But, I mean, I mean, he didn't mention the fact that he had £52 million summer signing Fred on the bench. Yeah, I mean, this quote really, really annoyed me, really disappointed me, just because I think it, there, there's just so much wrong with it for, from <laughs> our point of view. One, you spend £52 million on Fred in the summer as someone who can be a sort of box-to-box player who can come in between uh, Pogba and Matic and offer us something. All right, maybe he hasn't played as well as we would have expected so far, but his profile would have really helped in this game, I think. And two, the fact that, again, the only plan B is Fellaini. And I get that he has come up with some some important goals for us and he does cause cause problems for other teams, but that cannot be your only solution when we are when we're losing in a game. The fact, and and even, and even if it is, if you then start Fellaini, you have to have another option on the bench that you feel you can uh, bring on, and not just bring on and fit straight into the way that you were playing before. Try and change the way the team is playing to get the best out of whoever comes on. And we didn't see us change the way we play when played when Lukaku, Mata, Alexis came on at all. Uh, it was just yeah, that quote was really disappointing. I think. Listen, Fred. Fred has been disappointing so far. He has not lived up to what we ex- we we expected him to be, and he hasn't played as well as we would have liked. However, his profile of midfielder is exactly what we need in that midfield. And at the end of the day, the replacements that we have for him are not offering us very much, and hopefully, anyway, do not look like they're going to be massive parts of our future going forward. Yeah. So why not let Fred have the season? Let why not let him start? a run of games, try and get in some rhythm and build a midfield partnership with Pogba because ultimately those two look like the two that you would hope are going to be the ones carrying our midfield forward in the future. It's not going to be the likes of Matic, Herrera, Fellaini, you know, whoever else might, yeah, might well, be Matic, in there. Uh, should have probably been out of the out of the first team at the end of last season, let alone this season and, and still should be, should be dropped as soon as possible. But United's midfield lacked creativity drive impetus and and as you say Fred's profile is is the kind of player who would give that even even a Fred that isn't playing at his best even a Fred that is underperforming in that game in that season in that in that period of time it's simply about the kind of character of of the player the profile of the player as you say and Fred would have given that because his first he he, he has that ability even if he doesn't have a great game he he offers something different, whereas Matic and Herrera are offering something very very similar, and in in a, in a very negative way. While Fellaini would be left in there and was was very useful in terms of his uh, in terms of his aerial presence, because I think City could have hurt us there, even though we have a massive team. Fellaini kept heading balls away, but Fred could have could have just given given something different and, and connected that that attack to to the defence. Talking about the defence, Manchester United have conceded 21 Premier League goals this season, more than the top three combined. I don't really need to add any more to that, do I? I mean, it's that that pretty much <laughs> says it all. And it and to be fair, as much as as much as we often complain about individuals, it's been every single person that's played in in that defence this season. Maybe with the exception of of Shaw and in recent weeks Lindelof. Every everyone who's played in defence has played a role, including David de Gea in that. Um, 
has played a role in, in us having a pretty poor defensive record. What did you think of Aguero's goal? Gary Neville said De Gea probably should have saved it. I think I think that's a little harsh. It was I mean, De Gea has has got a very, very small weakness with powerful shots at his near post. Usually from further out from that. Uh usually from further out than, than Aguero's goal. Did you think he should have saved it? I don't think I don't think it should go down as a goalkeeping mistake, but I think I would expect De Gea to save that. I, but I don't yeah. expect that shot to be saved, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Like, I I think my expectations for De Gea are different to my expectations to, for most goalkeepers. And I think based on what De Gea has done in the past few years, I would expect him to save that. But I wouldn't put it down as a mistake. Yeah, he's, he's set the, he set the bar so high that you kind of... I mean, you pretty much expect him to save anything. It's, yeah. it's got to that ridiculous level where... Also, the, um, I don't know if anyone else noticed this, but... It looked to me like he was actually in position to save the first goal if it hadn't have come off Lindelof. Because Lindelof was standing right in front of him and it and it comes off, I think it was his shoulder. Yeah. And it looked like De Gea was right there ready to save it. Frustrating. I mean, they would have just gone and scored another one probably had had he saved oh, yeah. that um, almost straight away. Because I think... Or, or, I mean, all, all the ref would have given a penalty for what Smalling was doing to Aguero. Yeah, we, we can't really tell, but Aguero seemed to be talking to Aguero is very angry at the fact that his, his side had scored a goal and taken yeah. the lead in the derby which which is interesting Liverpool have spent longer at the top of the Premier League table 50 days than Man United 45 days since Jose Mourinho was appointed as manager Mourinho has as, as we were talking about earlier with his excuses about midfield and Fellaini Mourinho has all the excuses but none of the answers uh, I think what's interesting about the the City result is that the reaction to it wasn't ridiculous, which was kind of good to see. It isn't, it's not going to change our season that. A win could have changed our season, but a defeat was kind of the expected outcome. And yes, that's sad, but at the same time, it's kind of, it's not the biggest issue losing to City. The, the, the frustrating thing is all the, the Blues who are going to be banging on about it for the next two months because they're still so focused on being better than us in rather than winning trophies and, and being successful. But it was good to see the reaction wasn't silly because you took Bournemouth away, Juventus away and City away and you thought, if we win two out of three of those, we've done well. The thing that frustrated people was the fact that we didn't really go for it at the Etihad, but it, it shouldn't suddenly change all that positivity from the Juventus game, from the Bournemouth game. Yes, I think those two results are pretty much papering over the cracks for Mourinho. I think it's basically a stay of execution, at least for now. Hope, I, I, I hope that's not true. But this result doesn't doesn't change what we said after the Juventus game when we were completely euphoric. It doesn't change after the Bournemouth game where we thought maybe he's starting to, to kind of focus on, on the United's principles a bit more and, and trying to form an identity. Yeah, it, it doesn't change anything at all. It was the Juventus game was a great occasion and a great night, but it doesn't it doesn't change what was happening. What what is happening at United? It doesn't doesn't change how poorly we've played for a lot of the season because we played poorly for a lot of that game as well. Uh, maybe not poorly, but it's not like we it's not like we came out and dominated Juve for the whole time. You know, like we were relatively lucky to get away with a win as as great as as the occasion was. It doesn't what doesn't change the tra- trajectory of our season. Neither does this game, quite honestly, and it—it's not nice that um, it's not nice that we. I'm trying to find the right words. It's not nice that a three-one defeat to Man City doesn't represent like a nosedive for our season. It doesn't represent kind of a low point because there's been a lot already. And to be honest with you, three-one defeat in the Manchester derby is 
pretty much what I would have expected from this game. And it's, and it's literally the scoreline I predicted. Yeah. And kind of in, in the way I predicted as well. I said, well, we try to go for it when we were 2-1 down or 2-0 down and they'd, they'd score a third and kind of close the game out, which is exactly what they did. Yeah. So it's kind of disappointing that this doesn't represent a low point for our season, but that is that is where we're at. And I think, <laughs> like you said, winning two out of three of these games this week is definitely not the worst case scenario at all. And it's probably a, probably better than you would have expected before the Bournemouth game, you'd probably say we'd just win that that one game out of these three. But it doesn't take away from how disappointing it is to lose to City. And I think more than anything, just feel so flat after it and just a very sort of empty performance. I think the, the weird stage right now is that I think most United fans would agree. I think that we're better off having Mourinho than, having, than not having him at, the, at this very moment in time, given the... The, the massive weaknesses, the, the glaring weaknesses of the Manchester United board and, and Ed Woodward in particular in the transfer window, in, in having a long-term strategy, in their lack of ambition and the fact that they almost undoubtedly have no idea who they would appoint if they did sack Mourinho or if Mourinho did leave. But we're at that kind of weird stage where we think that's true. We think we're better off with Mourinho than, than without him at the moment. But at the same time, we shouldn't be happy with what's going on. He's he's not necessarily the best manager we could have right now. It does feel a bit like a stay of execution and it's kind of the praise we're giving him is for not being quite as bad as the Man United board. And the weird thing is all this City stuff with financial fair play in the last week is is hilarious because it was so obviously true and now it's finally coming out and there's so many people defending it. It's like, come on. You are defending one of the most vile regimes in in the world um, who are kind of trying to clean up their image via Manchester City. But there isn't... people. A lot of people are saying, well, oh, look, well, we're never going to be as good as them. They're, they're cheating the system, etc. There's no shame in being worse than this City side with one of the greatest managers of all time, probably the best or in the top three managers in the world right now, which Marina probably isn't one of the best squads the Premier League has ever seen, one of the deepest squads the Premier League has ever seen, who have spent a lot of money. But we are also worse than Liverpool, Chelsea, Tottenham, at the moment Arsenal. We are level on points, I think, with Bournemouth. We are near Watford in the league. That That is what is, is unthinkable for Manchester United and that makes it an issue. It's not that bad being worse than City at the moment. Everyone is worse than City. It's an incredible City team one of the best in the Premier League era. The problem is that it's not just that we're worse than City like last season, it's that we're worse than everyone else in the top six as well. Yeah, exactly. There's, what City are doing is no excuse. Look, look at look at the way Liverpool and Chelsea and, and even Arsenal to an extent are competing with City this season and tell me that we can't do that as well. And I would argue that in Arsenal's case and definitely Spurs' case, doing so with inferior squads and with much smaller budgets and yet they're managing to stay up uh stay up with level with level or almost level with city and sure city might be cheating the system and it wouldn't surprise me if the allegations that have come out turn out to be true but that doesn't excuse what has been happening at old trafford for the last 3 4 5 years the debate between sunes and gary neville at the end of um at the end of the game yesterday was was really interesting on oh, sorry not yesterday on sunday at the end of the sky sports coverage soon for anyone that hasn't seen it sunes basically putting the blame on, on Mourinho and Neville sort of putting the blame more on, on the board and the structure of the club. 
And I actually think they're both right. I think Sunes is right that with the squad that we have right now, we should be doing a lot better than we are. There is no way this squad is... I don't even know where we are on the table. Is it 7th or 8th where we are on the table now? I don't even know. Um, <laughs> Somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Um, I try not to look. It just depresses me. <laughs> but and, and he's right. We should be a lot higher up than we are in the table with the squad that we have at our disposal. But Gary Neville is also right in that for the last, what, five years now, there have been three different managers, all of whom have been very successful. I know we all laughed at David Moyes' appointment, but he was very, very successful at Everton in getting the most out of his squad. Louis van Gaal is one of the most decorated managers of the last two decades. Mourinho, as soon as himself said, probably the most, the, the manager of, of the sort of, um, of the North, sort of 2004 to 2014 kind of decade. And even though he might not be what he once was, he's still a very good manager now. And yet all three of those managers and so many comings and goings in terms of players, so many hundreds of millions of pounds spent has made almost no difference to the quality of this side. There has to be a bigger problem. And so I think they're both right. There are currently problems on the pitch and off the pitch. And it's not going to, we're not going to get back to where we want to be until both sides of it are fixed. It's not the case of the board need to go or the or Mourinho needs to go. They all need to figure out what is going wrong and try and fix it. Yeah. Interesting news this week that Ashley and Antonio Valencia are, are both set to be given new contracts at Manchester United. If you're if you're not speechless, what do you what do you think of that? I, I guess it's kind of current Manchester United is is epitomised in that news. See, I mean, we are going to compare them to City because that's where we should be at is is top of the league. City let Kolarov, Zabaleta go for free, bought proper replacements those replacements didn't even work properly so they bought another replacement and then we have 32 33 year old Valencia and Young who are both failed wingers and who weren't even that good when they were wingers anyway because we signed them from Wigan and Aston Villa yet they get rewarded with a new contract there's there is no there are no balls at Manchester United not Mourinho not not Woodward not the board not anyone there has the balls to say no we're getting rid of these players they're not good enough we don't care if we get Eight million for them, or we leave, or we lose them for free. It's irrelevant. I think one of the best tweets I've I've seen recently was um, Kieran at Berverspin tweeting that he can't wait to see Martial and Rashford as our wing backs in 2024. <laughs> um, and I think it's it's a good uh, it's a good way to kind of sum up the ridiculousness of of this situation because if you'd have said to someone six or seven years ago that in 2018. Our wingers, oh sorry, our, our fullbacks would be Antonio Valencia and Ashley Young. You would have just laughed in their face. Um, and yet that's the situation we now find ourselves in. And not just that, but they're being rewarded with new contracts. And neither of them have played very well this season. Young has been okay. I guess Valencia's not really played, but he wasn't very good last season when he when he did play. And both of them also competing for positions where I think we have two very good young players in Luke Shaw, who's having a great season, and Diogo Dalo, who, although he hasn't had many opportunities, when he has played, has done very, very well. And so not only are we giving contracts to two players who should be on their way out because they don't actually contribute very much when they're on the pitch, but they're also probably going to take minutes away from two young players who really deserve the time over them more. Yeah, I think Shaw has, has got that left-back spot nailed down now. Yeah. Dalo's been injured... Uh, he was injured when he first came he came back in September he picked up another little injury I, I'm not quite sure whether he's fully fit now if he is fully fit I would have no hesitation in starting him in pretty much every game because whoever we have on that right side he's going to offer more in attack he yep. 
seems to be can't be much worse in defence. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's when you're comparing it to Young and Valencia, it's like, well, well, how much worse can he do it? I mean, even Darmian would be just as good as as those two are in in that right back position. It's just. It's like if you have Ashley Young and Antonio Valencia as your fullbacks, you're clearly not ready to win win the Premier League title. It's it's yeah. it's so blatant, and the fact that we we're trying to keep them is out of financial. We're doing yeah. it for financial reasons because it's probably cheaper to keep them than it is to get replacement. When this is the thing, like it seems like when we're, we're neither building for the future nor playing to win now, because it seems like with the teams that we're putting out, it seems like okay, this is it. Like this year, maybe next year, that is our our window to win, our window to to win the league with this group of players. And clearly it isn't working out and I don't think, it, and it doesn't look like it's going to work out next season either based on where we are right now. So why wouldn't you then think, okay, this season is not a total loss yet, but it's not like we're going to win the league. All right, we have a, we have a chance to get in the Champions League maybe, but why not play some young players, give them a season to get some opportunity, play people like Fred, who we have high hopes for, but maybe hasn't produced it so far. And then at the end of the season, if it still isn't working out, then you maybe think about finding some replacements for them. Whereas at the moment, we're just playing players who aren't going to be at the club long term, simply because of their age and their standard of, of their play at the moment. And we're playing them every single week as if we're desperate for results now. And and I've said this before on here, I genuinely think United fans would be willing to go a year with us having a, a Moyes-esque era, a Moyes-esque season, finishing like sixth or seventh, if it meant that we could seriously build for the future, get all of these younger players into the squad playing together. And then in two or three years, if we see this come to fruition and these players are sort of leading us to glory again, every single United fan would take that over yeah. what we see now. Even if we were to finish second every year from now for the next four years with this group of players, I think every United fan would much rather go through a year or two of serious pain if it meant that we got some serious joy of it out of it yeah. at the end. And there's also great young players in the in the youth ranks coming through at the moment as well. I'll speak about in a second in the youth update. I think I think most United fans would accept that because we're having that kind of season anyway. And that's that's when we're doing this. Yeah, so exactly. why not try try something new? It's just whether Mourinho is the right man to do that. Perhaps Mauricio Pochettino is. But we shall see. Real Madrid have just Santiago Solari has has been given a contract until twenty twenty one, which means it's very unlikely that well, actually it's Real Madrid, so he could sack him in within the next four months. But yeah, contracts don't really stand, mean much it, at Real Madrid. <laughs> as things stand, it's unlikely that Pochettino will go to, to Real Madrid next summer, which may open the window for United if they so choose, but it seems very unlikely at the moment that Mourinho will be sacked unless we miss out on top four in which case I think he probably would now we spoke about youth we spoke about giving them a chance the under 18s beat Norwich 3-0 in the Premier League Cup with two goals from Mason Greenwood and one from Arnold Puigmal Greenwood now has 17 goals and 7 assists in 15 games for Manchester United at under 18 under 19 and under 23 level this season which is astonishing no words for it. The under-16s beat Norwich 5-4. They were 3-0 down and came back to win 5-4. Another very, very exciting player is Mipo Ojubeko, who got one goal and three assists in that game. Kind of the, the age age group below Greenwood, but another very exciting player. And under-18, under-19 level, we've been drawn in the FA Youth Cup third round against Chelsea, who have won their last five times in a row. So the hardest possible draw, having had tough ties in the last couple of years as well. United at home on December the 15th against Chelsea in the FA Youth Cup. I recommend getting down to wherever we played. It'll almost certainly be played at Old Trafford if you are uh, Manchester-based. You should be watching because it'll be a great game. Two of the best young sides in the country arguably the best two I mean they played each other in the the under 18 Premier League final last year 
unless you have anything else to say on the matter of the the disgraceful matter of Ashley and Antonio Valencia being given new contracts rather than anyone having the the balls to do anything about it that's all we have time for on on series four episode 13 of the Manchester United weekly podcast no I do not have anything more that I need to say about that before I go on a huge rant about it <laughs> probably best not to think about it too much it will lighten a day yeah. up if you don't um cheers for listening as always I hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did please leave us a review on iTunes to boost our I mean mainly to boost our egos but also to boost our status on iTunes but uh for more from Jack throughout the week you can follow him on Twitter at at UTD Tate T-A-I-T and you can follow me at at Harry Robinson 64 and the podcast itself at at UTD Weekly Pod that's P-O-D at the end there have a great week enjoy seeing Rooney back in an England shirt whatever you think of the the whole ordeal we forgot to talk about that but we, we must wrap up have a fun United free weekend goodbye Quick message if you haven't heard or seen on my Twitter or we released a little taster of my new podcast United Through Time, the podcast looking back at Manchester United's long and famous history, released a little trailer the other day. Um, You may have listened, you may have not, but it is about... As I say, Manchester United's history. First series is looking at the most influential individuals at the club since it was founded in 1878 as Newton Heath LYR Football Club. First episode is about Louis Rocker, second generation Italian immigrant who brought Matt Busby to the club, who stopped the club being called Manchester Celtic back in 1902, who saved the club from bankruptcy twice, or at least helped to do so, who was involved in pretty much everything that kind of shapes United to what it is today the foundations of the club Old Trafford Red and White the name Manchester United the academy he also helped set up the academy in the 1930s so massively important man massively underknown first episode out on iTunes ACAR Spotify everywhere you can find this podcast you'll find United through time as well you can find it on Twitter at at UTD through time uh any other questions just send me a note on Twitter uh hope you enjoy it if you do manage to listen and have a great week goodbye Podcast Network.